0: Welcome to another edition of the Strip-Till Farmer Podcast, brought to you by Sound Agriculture. I'm your host, Noah Newman. Great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. We're going one-on-one with Blakely, Georgia strip-tiller Caleb Traw, who accumulates ideas from across the country and finds creative ways to make them work on his farm in Georgia. Let's waste no time jumping into the conversation. Here's Caleb.
1: My name's Caleb Traw and... I'm in Blakely, Georgia, the small town in the southwest corner of Georgia. So basically right where Alabama, Florida, and Georgia come together, that's, that's the area that I work. I primarily work right now as a a crop consultant and agriculture consultant, but then I also do farm with a buddy of mine. We run a small operation that has kind of transitioned more or less to the research side of things. We do a lot of test plots, uh, variety and hybrid testing uh, here in this area. So. As far as agriculture in this area, we grow peanuts, cotton, corn, soybeans, small grains, and then some specialty crops depending on the uh, operation here.
0: And what would you say are some of the unique challenges or or unique characteristics of the region where you farm and, and where the customers that you help farm?
1: Yeah, so our growing season can present a lot of challenges as well as the soil. Uh, here in this area, we typically deal with very low CEC soils that are highly weathered, typically uh, very acidic, not very fertile. So it takes a lot of priming to get our soils up to par, especially to produce some of the good yields. As well as with our weather, we struggle with hot, dry spells in our during our growing season in the summertime. Uh, last year, say, we went to 100 degrees during the day and 80 degrees at night for a three-week stretch so learning how to manage crops and mitigate some of those stresses is definitely something that we have to really focus on with this climate and area we're in
0: yeah and when we talk about strip till uh, how does strip till kind of help tackle some of those challenges do you feel like that region of the country is fit pretty well for strip till
1: absolutely you know Strip-till is something that has been done in this area for a a lot of years. But one thing that we have started doing now that... Well, when we first got started, I didn't even know you could do this, that you could actually ban fertilizer with a strip-till rig. I was listening to some uh, shows and, and podcasts and people speaking from up in the Midwest, and they're like, yeah, we're strip-tilling, we're replacing fertilizer. I'm like, that makes so much sense. That solves a lot of the problems and issues that we're running into with our soils. And so that's kind of where we really took hold of strip till and and ran with it once we started uh, being able to put down fertilizer with it.
0: and And how long have you been strip tilling in in your operation?
1: So, we've been strip tilling, of course, for a number of years, but back in 2019, uh, we finally were able to purchase a Montag card after years and years of searching because in this area, nobody really put down any fertilizer with a strip till. So it took us a little bit of time to find the equipment to be able to get ourselves, uh, set up to do that. But this will be our fourth, yeah, this will be our fourth year of, uh, using it as a part of our fertility program, as well as our history of using it as a tillage pass.
0: Yeah, and do you remember your your big motivation for making that switch? Was it Was it mainly what you just mentioned about being able to place the fertility right where you want it with the strip-till rig?
1: Exactly, exactly. You know, with the fertilizer prices today, it's easy to outspend your budget, and our crop is still lacking. So instead of Focusing on building up our entire soil profile just to get things balanced for the plant, we really key in on keeping that row, that root zone uh, balanced and high fertility. And it's really helped us in terms of pushing our yields.
0: And speaking of yields, I I know you were you placed second in the NCGA uh, contest in 2021 in the strip till irrigated class with a yield of 270 bushels per acre. So, you know, what did that accomplishment mean and, and what all went into being that successful with uh, with strip-till in terms of achieving that high yield?
1: Yeah, well, definitely strip-till had a lot to do with it. Uh, those high yields of corn, they take a lot of fertility. And so one thing that we've been able to do with fertility is to build a balanced nutrient program. Uh, when we first started, we were just putting out one or two different products with our our strip till pass but one thing that we really that really helped us take things to the next level was to be able to come up with a complete fertility package to go in our strip till so not just our N P and K, but also our secondary and micronutrients so Balances everything, and so we don't really want to focus on just one or two things. So the fertilizer blend that we've been using now is a homogenized fertilizer that's got NPK, calcium, magnesium, sulfur, boron, manganese and zinc that are in ideal ratios for our crop and then being able to build that zone right there really helps us to make sure that we satisfy the nutritional requirements of that crop so we can check that box and we're not lacking in the fertility area
0: yeah how big of a difference do those micronutrients make do you recommend a lot of uh, you recommend strip tillers should start using those more on top of the your typical mpk
1: absolutely absolutely Um, when you look at 300 for corn the amount of micronutrients that it removes they're not really micro amounts anymore we're starting to get into some pretty good amounts and when we look at our normal fertility program How much zinc are we putting out? How much copper are we putting out? How much manganese are we putting out? Yet, every year, we're constantly removing these things from our field with the yields that we've been pulling off. So, when we go and pull soil samples, we'll see that we're trending downwards after we're pulling off these good yields. So... Being able to focus on some of these micronutrients, in addition to our NPNK, have really helped us push through some of the yield levels that were holding us back.
0: And do you implement this nutrient management strategy throughout your entire operation, or was it just this high-yielding field, or is it pretty much the same throughout all of your acres?
1: Our goal is to basically treat all the acres the same. While we might have some areas here and there that we do push a contest field, we really try to use those areas to see what is going to move the needle. Because if something gives us a good return on investment that we're trying out on a small scale, whether it be for a contest, we take that information and then move it to our standard practice. And we've really been able to see things grow from there.
0: And then in, t- in terms of the rates of each uh, nutrient that you're applying, does it is it variable rates? Do you do split applications or approximately, uh, you know, how much are you putting on?
1: Sure, sure. As far as the products and the rates, there's a couple of different theories when it comes to strip chill, I'm sure that your listeners are aware of. We can look at our soil analysis and say, okay, what do we need to put out to build the soil with? But then what are we left with at the end of the year? How do we pull samples? All these other things enter in the conversation. So our stance on things is we're placing crop uptake rates. So we're We take our yield goal, whether it be on a field level or now we're moving over to management zones to where we know, okay, in this part of the field, we're going for 200 bushel corn. So our strip-till program includes the nutrients and the rates that is needed for that yield goal. Or if in this area is 250, then we're putting on what that area needs, especially when it comes to here where we have a lot of dry corners, with our pivots so it's basically two different fields in one so being able to variable rate apply those nutrients based on our yield goal has helped us to be more efficient with our fertilizer applications not have to go in the hole too bad with these fertilizer prices and be able to increase our profitability on each of those acres
0: I'm sure you've done a lot of studies on this and research on this, but how much does planting depth matter?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it matters a pretty good bit. In our sands, it's hard to plant too deep. So, one problem that we've we found is planting too shallow is that with our Our sandy soils, it's it's highly variable when it comes to our moisture and even our temperature. So getting our seed down to where we are consistent in terms of temperature and moisture helps us to get those even stands and then keep our nodal roots from coming out above the soil surface. That's been really key for us is to keep as much of that nodal root system in the ground. And that is can only be done before that Planner fur
0: is closed and by putting that seed at the proper depth. Yeah, I I saw you um, in in one of your most recent tweets. Um, I did did a little research on you, so I saw that you mentioned planting depth in one of your most recent tweets, so I figured that's why I'd bring that up. I knew you'd have a good answer for that. Um, Cover crops. Do you use cover crops?
1: Yes, yes. So we use cover crops on pretty much all of our acres, and a good share of the growers that I work with also use cover crops. And Strip till and cover crops to me go hand in hand. Uh, Some of the reasons why we do use cover crops is because our soil does not freeze over the winter. So when we get our heavy December, January, February rains, uh, even like today in the last 48 hours, we've gotten around five inches of rain. Well, our cover crops are helping to protect that soil. Before we had cover crops, every spring, we would have to go out for one to two weeks with a dirt pan just to put our dirt back in our fields. Whereas with cover crops, that allows us to minimize the erosion, so we're keeping the nutrients in our field. Then if we have fertilizer that is left over year over year in our sandy soils, we are prone to losses mostly through leaching over the winter so our cover crops help us to protect there our soil nutrients and be able to keep those for the following year
0: let's burn a quick time out and thank our sponsor sourced by sound agriculture source provides 25 pounds of nitrogen and 25 pounds of phosphorus leading to more productivity and supporting your fertilizer reduction goals this foliar applied biochemistry has a low use rate and is tank mix compatible getting a free ride into the field check out source it's like caffeine for microbes learn more at www.sound.ag now back to the conversation How many uh, species of cover crops do you use? And a cereal rye is the big one around where we are up here in the Wisconsin area and across the country, really. But do you, what kind of species do you use?
1: So we use a lot of cereal rye and oats are probably the most common ones. Uh, there's been years that... We've had thirteen species I believe was the most that I've ever put into a field together, but usually in that two to three is kind of my sweet spot depending on the grower of uh, what their capabilities are um, if they're like us, and using our own seed that we're we're producing ourselves has been a big help but then also the more species that we have it makes it even more important that we set up our tillage system to go into the next crop so i remember the one of the first years that we had cover crops I, I put out five or six species in there and didn't really have a good handle on the rates and put about two to three X what we're putting right now. And it made it a challenge and we had to set up our strip to a little bit differently to be able to still do a good job with those cover crops. But and now we've been able to make some adjustments and changes on the equipment side of things to where now we're able to go through... even if it's a waist-high cover crop that we've just terminated, and be able to make a nice, consistent bed to give us a a good foundation for our plants.
0: So you plant green?
1: We do some green planting pretty much with our with our pests and disease profiles that we struggle with we typically do terminate ahead of time and it does make it a little bit easier on the equipment side to be able to uh, run our strip to a unit
0: gotcha well speaking of equipment uh let's talk about it what kind of uh, strip till bar do you use and just kind of give us the rundown of of the uh, equipment you're utilizing right now
1: sure sure so we use a KMC strip-till bar on our farm, and pretty much that would be the norm for a lot of the growers that I work with. Some of them are running over first units. And then along with that strip-till bar, the uh, KMC that we have, we're also running a Montag uh, fertilizer cart behind that.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And what about precision technology? How, how important is that to what you do?
1: It is encompassing a lot of the aspects of our operation, of course, like we talked about. Uh, we're really trying to focus on managing not just on a field level, but even on an acre or smaller level. So building our management zones where we're taking into account our soil fertility, our irrigation patterns, our yield history, and being able to combine those together to build maps that we can use variable rate applications and be able to put the right product in the right place at the right rate.
0: You know, you work with a lot of growers from different backgrounds, I'm sure. And, you know, how much inspiration do you take from other farms taking ideas that work maybe somewhere else and making them work on your operation?
1: That's been key for us because in this area, there wasn't a lot of strip till fertilizer being placed in this area so it was kind of a foreign concept to me so we had to go a good ways away to be able to benefit from the expertise of the growers that were already using that in their programs but then when we started doing it we kind of had to learn on our own we had to learn some things like how to set up the equipment and even the quality of the fertilizer that we were using. Uh, I tell one thing that when you start putting fertilizer through a pneumatic system, you'll learn quickly the quality of your fertilizer. Uh, like Last year, we had some issues, some supply issues where our retailers were starting to get some fertilizer that was a little lower quality, had a lot of fines in it, and that of gave us a little bit of trouble we had to go back to the drawing board on some of the products that we're using Uh, but then we found a homogenized fertilizer so it's very consistent and the product doesn't have very many fines in it. We don't have the moisture issues. And that's one thing that we have struggled with in the past. And some of the guys who have done fertilizer placement with a strip till have struggled with, with our humidity. It can be a challenge, especially with using certain fertilizer blends. So using the homogenized fertilizer that we kind of found, it minimizes those issues that we've had and Uh, we're able to keep a consistent product, nothing settling out with the blends that we're using because we're putting out a lot of different things with our strip till trying to achieve that balanced fertilizer ration. And so we've been finding these fertilizer blends that have really worked well for us and have really helped shorten our learning curve a little bit with some of this new technology for us.
0: And about how deep are you placing the fertilizer?
1: That's something that we've actually went back and forth on a little bit. So when we first started, we were placing fertilizer six to eight inches deep. But the fertilizer, the strip till bar that we were using is going 12 to 14 inches deep. So we were kind of placing it halfway and with our with the tubes that we were using is kind of stopping right there. But then the problem that we were having after that is we could get. two to three inch heavy rain as typical in our springtime weather and then our fertilizer would fall to the bottom of that trench so we would pull soil samples every one to two inches down and we would see that our fertilizer had fallen down to the bottom of our trench and even some of the soil sensors that we're using that are measuring the salinity they were agreeing with that so for This year, we're kind of swapping things up a little bit different, trying some dual placement to where we are putting some down six to eight inches deep behind our shank. But then we're also putting some kind of on top of the ground behind the shank, and then we're using the coulters behind the shank to mix up a band of fertility that's in the top three to four inches and hopefully that's going to help solve some of our issues that we've been running into so i'm looking forward to trying that
0: yeah yeah it sounds like that's uh you know one of the characteristics of of your operation and and your approach to farming is it seems like you um you know you're not afraid to try something new How, how important is that to kind of not get complacent and every year you're looking at numbers data and and trying new things how important is that
1: it's rare that we do things the same thing every year uh, there's one of our uh, on the uh, national corn grower uh, representatives a good friend of mine and he says Caleb take two or three things and change them every year on your operation I said what if we take two or three things and keep them the same and we change everything else? He said, well, you know, I don't know about that, but that's kind of where we've been at these last few years. I'm always trying to figure out how we fix whatever issues or limitations that we're experiencing because we only have one chance a year to farm So I want to try to speed up my learning curve as as much as we can. That's why we focus a lot of our stuff on research stuff, small-scale plots, so we can learn as quickly as possible, whether it be practices, products, high stuff, to be able to accumulate our knowledge and hopefully expand that out into our entire operation and, of course, for the growers that I work with so we can improve our Profitability and our uh, keep in mind our conservation aspects too.
0: Yeah, it seems like you're um, always open to sharing new information that you've learned. And I saw that you hosted a, a big field day recently, right?
1: Yes, yes. That's quickly becoming uh, something that I'm known for now. But we've we've hosted three three field days annually so far, and I'm actually sitting down trying to get things planned out for our summer field day this year. So it's something that I really look forward to. Uh, I, I try not to be like the growers who learn something and just keep it to themselves. That's not me. I want to take what I learn, I want to share it and use it to help others. So at our field day last year, we had in our corn hybrid plot, we had 41 different hybrids that we put side by side to learn some of the characteristics, whether it be yield or other management practices. We had a lot of strip-till fertilizer rate studies. That was something that we did a lot of, whether it be uh, using different lab recommendations or with uh, crop physiology you know, what leaves are the most important on a corn plant? Which ones can we afford to lose to disease or insects? Uh, even what our population is. Does two by two pay? Do for our products pay? Uh, which biologicals are showing us benefits? Uh, are there things that we can do to lower canopy temperatures? All these questions that we have that we're trying to find the answers to and share that with others.
0: That's awesome. Um, sounds like you're keeping pretty busy. I'll, I'll let you go because I know you have a lot to get to. But uh, before you go, I'd say for the listeners right now, is, is there anything else you'd like to add in terms of maybe a strip till truth? Something that over the year, over years of strip tilling, something you've learned that other people could apply to their operation? Maybe, maybe anywhere in the country. I know it's different region to region, but I'll just let you have the last word here.
1: Sure, sure. Always try something new, and if Take, always try to take that next step in your operation whether that be paying attention to if we can use the equipment that we already have do things a little bit better or if there's another product that we can use uh, to, to increase our efficiency in our operation because all these things that we're constantly being monitored so we have to figure out how we get more efficient how we get better of uh, how we, you know, even when it comes to the climate issues, there's a lot of talk about that into the industry, and we have the solution to these problems uh, that, that we're facing. So it's up to us to improve our operations, improve our sustainability, uh, and then that will help us to uh, make sure that we stay in good light with, with all the non-producers, non-farmers in the area.
0: That'll wrap things up for this week's edition of the Strip-Till Farmer podcast. Thanks to Caleb for joining us. Thanks to our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture. And thank you for tuning in, as always. Until next time, for all things Strip-Till, head to striptillfarmer.com. I'm Noah Newman. Have a great day.